Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 198. Now, before I get into this week's podcast, it's the 1st of October 2022 as I record this. And last night was a special, special night because the Lionesses wrapped up the European Championships. And there's not, as as an Englishman, there's not many things that we get to celebrate, especially in football. So I've got to say a huge congratulations to everyone that's involved with the Lionesses. It's a massive achievement. And I just couldn't help think last night when we're watching Leah Williamson lifting the trophy, the amount of young women across the, the country, across the world even, that it's going to inspire. And it's going to be amazing to see where the game goes over the next few years. Obviously, I spoke recently with, with Pordy at Arsenal and a number of others involved in the women's game. And um, yeah, incredible players, incredible practitioners and really, really exciting time. So huge congratulations to everyone involved. And just on that point, this week's guest is the head of Academy Physical Performance at Tottenham Hotspur, also working with Spurs ladies as well, Matt Allen. Matt came on and we spoke about engaging players throughout the LTAD process. We also touched on something that we spoke about before in terms of a first team, but not in terms of an academy, and that is players going on international duty and how he approaches that as well. We brought up the debate around whether we should focus on developing players' strengths or bring up their weaknesses and what to prioritise. And then we also spoke about around monitoring and where the focus lies with monitoring that Matt runs and are there areas that can't be monitored that we also need to focus our time on too. So this comes obviously a few weeks after having Josh Rice on the podcast. So you get a really good perspective from both sides of all the work that's being done at Spurs and huge thank you to Matt for giving up his time and coming on. I've just got to say a massive thank you as well to everyone that came out to our event at Stoke City. We will, I'm going to put a little bit of pressure on myself here, but next week, episode 199, I guarantee, and you're hearing it here first, we will have some more events confirmed by then. So I will be bringing you details of at least one, hopefully two events in next week's episode. Now, before we dive into the podcast, as always, I've got to say a huge Thank you to our sponsors. The podcast couldn't run as it does without our sponsors. Huge thank you to them and enjoy episode 198. Rezo is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 198. I am delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Matt Allen. Matt, how are we doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Cheers for having me, Ben. No problem, mate. I've said this a lot on loads of podcasts. We needed to have recorded the last sort of 20 minutes of conversation we've had because I think there's some really good <laughs> stuff in that from you. Um, but we didn't, so we're going to have to try and repeat a little bit of it. But thank you very much for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. It's Good timing as well, coming a few episodes after Josh coming on the podcast too. 
Um, so let's kick us off, as we always do, on you and your background. Can you give us a little rundown? Yeah, sure. So, um, firstly, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, so I'm head of academy physical performance at, uh, at Spurs. Uh, I'm also the uh, lead physical person with the, the women's team as well at, at Tottenham uh, that I kind of oversee that programme. Uh, but that's only in the last 12 months or so. So if I, if I kind of rewind the clock, I guess, um, oh, God knows how many years now. Uh, so I went to uni uh, 2004. Just before that, uh, I, was in, I used to play football, not to a great standard. Uh, failed footballer like, like some sports scientists are. With, um, I was at Norwich for a while, got released from there. Um, I actually then took up golf uh, when I was 12. Uh, got very good at it. Tried to make it on tour, realised I wasn't good enough to do that one either. <laughs> I gave it a go, but realised I weren't good enough for that. Um, then so decided, let's go to uni and let's try and get into the, uh, the sport that I love, whether, uh, you know, obviously football was the, the main goal, but I did have a back, background also in golf. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd go to uni, uh, study sports science, obviously a broad topic, and it allowed me to kind of narrow down on, uh, you know, what I could specialise in at a later date. Um, went to Nottingham Trent for three years, got my degree, um, did a little bit of experience at different places uh, in, in, in sports uh, during that degree, then stayed on, did a master's. Uh, while I did my master's, I was uh, working with Rylan Morgans at Nottingham Forest. Uh, so that was 2007-8 season uh, when, they got, when we were in League One and got promoted, uh, which was great. It was a really good year, learned loads. Uh, from Ryland, from from the environment, um, is yeah, uh, yeah, really, really useful year. Uh, pairing up with my studies, uh, like most people, get to the end of your masters, your skin, you go back, you go back home to mummy and daddy, where you get some free food and uh, and and everything. So yeah, went back there, uh, managed to get a a role uh, through David Cosford and Nigel Thompson uh, at uh, Elite Strength and Conditioning in Norwich. Uh, so you might hear my Norfolk uh, twang as, as we go on. But yeah, I'm uh, originally from there. So managed to, to work with athletes across uh, 20 different sports while I was there. So I, it's almost like a, an S&C centre where people um, come into you from all, all, all different areas uh, and different specialisms in the, uh, in the area. So work with triathletes and rugby players and football players and golfers, etc., which is, I found really, really uh, really useful for my development as a strength and conditioning coach, but also obviously a sports scientist. Um, I then found those skills were really transferable when I managed to, to get my role at Tottenham. So I moved to Tottenham, um, not moved to Tottenham, moved to the, to the area, but managed to get my job at Tottenham uh, as an intern uh, in 2000, late 2009 uh, with Sam Erith and uh, Nathan Gardner. Uh, worked with the first team for six months uh, and Sam and uh, Wayne Diesel, uh, et cetera. Then they got me a, uh, my, my job within the academy. And I found that um, I, I absolutely loved it. If I'm completely honest with you, you know, when I first got the role, uh, my, my goal was to work with first team players. I really enjoyed it with the first team, but they offered me this job and I thought, like, I'll never turn down a job with Tottenham, absolutely no way. So I, I, I uh, started working with them. Uh, in April, May 2010, I uh, went on a few tours with Alex Inglethorpe, John McDermott, worked with those. Alex, obviously now at Liverpool, was the academy director. Uh, went away with yeah, Anton McElhone, who's, who's head of sports science at, at Celtic. 
um, and absolutely loved it. Like to be fair, the crop that I worked with were unbelievable. Like the, the, this group I went away with in, in April or May, it was like Harry Kane, Ryan Mason, Tom Carroll, etc., Paul and Pocky. Like we had a we had a really really good uh, good crop, um, and and just fell in love with it really um, with, with with kind of long term athletic development, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've I've been in that role now now ever since really. So uh, since since mid two thousand and ten, I've been well, head of academy physical development for 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 so many years. Uh, recently changed uh, to with, with performance in the title, but uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with players like Oliver Skip since he was knee high, like nine year old. I got pictures of him in my my sessions that uh, probably weren't that great. I was motivated and delivering with great enthusiasm but actually looking at the drills it weren't very good but um yeah that that was back in you know well when when he was eight nine years old and Jaffat Tanganga like currently Dane Scarlett and then I, I was lucky enough to cling on to the coattails of of some of the the players that I mentioned there um with, with regards to you know Andros Townsend Nabil Bentaleb and all that 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 all come through which um I've been really fortunate to be a, like a really small part of their journey um so yeah that, that's a kind of a I would say a whistle stop tour. That was about ten minutes, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's a uh, <laughs> that's that's where I am. That's where I've been. Um, I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll leave it there and let you ask ask some more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other side of it is obviously the the women's game now as well. Yeah, so obviously the Euros are going on at the moment, which is which is incredible. That you can see that it's it's gaining uh, building steam. Really, that this, that side of the sport is. Uh, year on year so I got the opportunity to get involved last year um, through uh, through Heather and through Rianne the the, the managers uh, the manage- management team here uh, Heather being the head of women's football and Rianne being the manager um, and they wanted me involved which is brilliant um, so I've done that now for just over 12 months uh, big challenge we're, I mean e- even at the start of last season we were operating at a Mill Hill school um, which is yeah in, in in London, and then we moved to uh, the Birch, which is literally just down down the way. While a uh, new purpose built facility, which I'm in right now, um, got while it while it got built, uh, which like just in 12 months, the scenery has changed so much. They've got their own uh, like unbelievable pictures outside. I managed to design them a gym and get them a gym installed through it with Indigo Fitness. I mean, we managed to get get loads of things put in last year that were that is great and I think it just shows just how much that's growing and it's actually a really exciting side of the side of the sport that um like I'm, I'm really lucky to be a part of I, I I don't deliver in the program I just kind of oversee it the kind of the strategy side and what we do where we push uh, what days we push hard on what days we come off recovery strategies all that kind of performance side um so like people like Pordy going across I think gives real credibility and gravitas to to the women's women's side of the sport, and I think this um, it's, it's genuinely a really exciting side to be in, involved in as well. Um, so that's kind of a bolt onto my role. Uh, my, my main job is still in the academy, and what I like to see where where I see my future as well. But um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly one that that it, it, it'd be incredible to see where we are in five, six, seven years' time with, with the with the uh, speed it's developing at. We spoke before we started recording. One of the things we spoke about was. Um your sort of passion in terms of seeing players go through the academy process into first team, thriving at first team level. There's obviously a lot of people, and when you speak to a lot of younger practitioners, they always have the ambition, or it seems majority of working at first team. 
What's been the real um, draw for you to stay in the academy and, and keep working with these younger players? I think you've got to be really highly skilled to work in, in, in academy football. And, I, and, uh, and I'm not saying, because obviously I can now bang the drum of academy football and it's, it's not at the detriment whatsoever to first team side. And, you know, that is incredibly demanding. You've got some very highly skilled people in that and you have to be highly skilled, you know, to, to work in that environment. But at the same time, I feel like the qualities you have to bring to an academy environment um, are much more than quantifiable numbers and sports science and technology and all that. It's very much about how can you develop this nine-year-old um, and give them the qualities of having grit, determination and mental strength and all the physical qualities, of course, but I'm very much um, under the impression that, uh, of course, my title is, is about physical performance, but at the same time, uh, John McDermott had a great kind of saying for everyone, and everyone is a player developer. So we need to make sure that everyone in the building is aligned because this is the environment that we have to create and maintain, whether you're the, the bus driver, uh, you know, the person who brings them in from their digs, the sports scientist or the psychologist, we're all of each other's roles because um, we're trying to harness this environment to, to bring through each player. And I think that's there's, there's a big skill in that. And uh, you can make or break careers uh, by doing things right or wrong, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that side of it is is, is what I really thrive on. And, and I, um I think from the other side, I, I kind of see myself, I've always seen myself really as a kind of a strength and conditioning coach in football. That's kind of how I've really seen it. I, I really love getting people to jump higher, getting people to sprint faster, making people more agile, you know, making people fitter. And I think it's, it's that side that when you have a Saturday, Saturday, Saturday kind of routine, of course you do have that in first team football as well, but to, to really see a lad develop physically, their, their qualities over time as well. I'm, I'm all over that. That's me. Uh, my my test, my uh, biggest day is testing day. It's not, it's not match day. It's a, it's testing day. So I think, um, yeah, it, kind of a few different reasons really. And those demands, another thing we touched on before was the demands that players are facing now on the pitch, away from the pitch that perhaps weren't happening as much a few years ago. How's that influenced your approach and maybe just conversations that you're having with players as well. Um, it's it's become a lot. It's become a lot more complicated. I'd say in the last twelve years since I've been doing this, um, I think things were were very simple before. Uh, I think uh, the environment that we now operate in, um, that there is there is a job for for every area and uh, things like safeguarding things. Uh, psychologists we've got like specialties in every area which which is great to an extent uh, but the, at the end of the the road we have to I had to prepare or not I had to prepare but we had to prepare Oliver Skip um, to potentially get booed at uh, by 30,000 people or he goes to take a corner and he gets stuff thrown at him and, and shouted at him or the manager doesn't like what he did at half time so you know he, he, he says whatever at half time I think that you have to um, develop players for a really demanding sport now, both on and off the pitch. Like even if you think you've had a good game, 
you could go on Twitter after or Instagram and you could probably, and, and you could type your name in, I imagine, and you could find a hundred people that think otherwise. And I think you've got to have some really mentally strong and stable people um, to, uh, to, to deal with that, I think. And, and, and so of course you need that support network around, but at the same time, uh, you know, for, for, you know, for moments like that. And at the same time, we need to find the balance between, you know, not treating kids like young adults, like uh, like they are uh, small adults. We have to make sure that um, we have a we harness an environment in this place that still develops those qualities, that still develops grit, mental strength. Of course, all the physical qualities, but we need we need to push players um, to 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 really get them to uh, you know to to kick on. Uh, but also prepare them for what is what's going to happen, you know, and what 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 the next level is, what the the end level is. So um, now it's it's like I say, it's um, it's certainly changed in the last twelve years. I wouldn't say better, I wouldn't say worse. It's just definitely changed, mm. um, and I, I think it's uh, it's certainly an area that everyone's adapting to. Um, but the end game is still the same. You know, you're still playing this front of sixty thousand people, and and people will shout things. We need to make sure that players are ready for this. You know. Is it also where you might pull from coaches' experience that have maybe played at that level as well that you have around the club or even first current first team players as well? I think so. Um, I think, like just in our coaching, we, we counted up all the appearances that we had in. Uh, I say we, uh, the, the coaching staff had in the academy, uh, and I, th- I think we had over like two thousand appearances. Uh, to yeah. be fair, we've got Pat Jennings, who's like a thousand. He, he, he counts for quite a lot. <laughs> I think it was in the thousands, like how many appearances we had. And I feel like some people can say, um, oh, you're old school. But actually, if harnessed and and put across with the right message, it's not old school. The game is still the game. And the the stresses and and what the game brings hasn't really changed too much over the years. Uh, so we need to make sure that, that the staff in this environment are highly skilled, but also have the experiences to really relate to players. And I think it's how that re- that relatedness and those, those relationships that you build. Uh, we need to make sure that we, we 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 give the right message, but also collectively we have the same message. Yeah, um, I think it's right that we need to make sure that as much as having a relationship, I think this is it's a dangerous word with with players. Uh, that we, we need to be critical friends. So we're not, mm. we're not just cheerleader friends. We're not just, oh, well done, pat on the back, everything. We need to, uh, of course, build respect um, through what we, what we deliver. But at the same time, we need to have those relationships that we tell players what they need to hear, not, that, not what they want to hear, but delivered at the right time with the right message and you know, in, in the right stage. And I think that then becomes powerful. And so... As long as we all collectively are critical friends, so we we all got great relationships, but we've got to be honest that some sometimes like, that's not good enough. Come on, we have yeah. got to be better than that. We got to be better than that, you know. And, and we've seen patterns in you recently. You got to improve at this, this, and this. Um, of course, that side, but also be positive at the the same time when something happens that you've been working on. Praise it, hundred percent. Praise it. Um, and so yeah, that that kind of side as well. And then I was going to ask about engaging players throughout the sort of. Academy process, LTAD, um, if we're going to talk about buying or what, however we want to phrase it. But essentially, 
the attitude of players towards S&C sports science? Obviously, you've named players that have gone right through the academy system. What's been your approach, especially earlier on in that academy process, making sure that players understand why they're doing what they're doing and then kind of thrive doing that as well and want to progress? Um, so this is my Twitter kind of um, thing that you put at the end of your title, like views my own and not the club. So <laughs> everything, to be fair, that I'm discussing are just kind of my thoughts, really. Yeah. Um, and genuinely not that, and, and that is genuinely not of the club. But what we do here is we've got kind of a saying in the gym of, of bringing the outside inside. So I, I don't want players to view, well, I've got football, then I've got the gym or the mm. other way around. I want it to kind of be synonymous. I want players to view being inside is like, you know, you are working on the qualities that transfer to outside. So yeah. we've got that saying in, in our gym of bringing the, bringing the outside inside. So we'll, we'll always have videos going on in, in the gym, on the pitch, uh, of players uh, playing on the pitch where they might be physically outstanding moments, uh, moments where they might need to work on, uh, some highlights of the week, whatever it is. We, we need to make sure that it becomes a football environment. Uh, we'll then do th- work on a, a basically work on the outside inside. So we'll, fi- we'll film spil- uh, speed drills. We'll film uh, possessions where, and then highlight a player on how he turns, um, et cetera. And then we'll actually bring that inside. So the start of our movement development sessions, we'll put it on the screen, get the players around, right. Okay. So this is your speed drill. Have a look at how you hip extend. Look at how you've changed it. Look at your foot patterns here and there. Right. We're going to bring that. Okay. This is what we're now about to work on inside. So there you've taken four steps to turn, to, change direction we're going to uh, now work on this and and and, uh, and and change in two or three steps instead or wh- whatever the example may be so we we, we want to bring as much of the outside inside as possible and work on that um so uh, yeah so another example might be uh the language that we use so with our younger age groups we will um use rotational stability we'll have an example of our lads doing like sedan work so that's basically like twisting and turning and using your your body to be really strong while you twist and turn it right. That's just a damn work that you do outside. Okay, now we're going to work on the things that regress from that. Okay, right, everybody. This is exercise number one. This is rotational hold. So you're going to get really really strong without moving isometrically. So like hold it still. And so actually like intro in a session, and then making things football throughout the whole thing. But you're not actually kicking a football. I think makes people buy into the process a bit more. And of course, if you've got more buy in, then you're going to get better. Um, you know, effort levels, etc. Throughout uh, that, that's one side of things. The other side is in competition. I think it's good yeah. old competition. You can never, you can never go wrong with that. Leaderboards galore, like everywhere. If so, if we can get like we, I'm a big, um, uh, big person on push. I, I, I know they've been brought out recently and stuff, but velocity-based training where we can get leaderboards going on screens. The valved leaderboard will always have up in the in in the. Uh, uh, in the gym on power sessions, we'll have uh, prowler speed um, as as, a, as as one of our kind of key exercises in power, where we're pushing the prowler through light gates, five meter light gates, and we get the time right on the leaderboard, etc. Yeah. I'm a big believer that this that lads when they get when they jump higher over the course of a season, largely it's because also they're getting better at jumping, they're getting yeah. better at the techniques, they're doing it a lot. So we'll why can't why don't we just take that same thing to to sprint work 
So we do resist the speed, do loads of speed work and obviously get quicker. But that, that's, that's a, a kind of a, um, a overview of kind of how we see things. And we want to, we want to make things as relatable as possible in, inside. Um, and the last one, sorry, is, is, is how we then link the day together. So for example, I, I work with Wayne Burnett kind of day in, day out. And so with Josh as well, but Wayne Burnett is the, the head coach of the 23s or 21s now. Um, we'll sit down in the morning meeting, MDT, right? What are we going to do? Agree. What, what drills are we going to do that day? Like as, as an overview, right? Okay. So the first exercise, uh, first drill is going to be twisting and turning. We use the same example. Okay. So we'll then bring that into the gym and work on that. Right. We're going to build out to this today, um, out onto the pitch. So we're going to regress that into the gym. So this is what we're going to do first rotational core on the floor, etc. stand up and do that. Um, so there are kind of three things that we'll work on. It'd be like, what is the content for the pitch on the day? Um, who have we got and what do they need? Of course, we need to make it individual, uh, but also where are we in our periodization model? So we've got our periodized model that will progress throughout the season. And so as a, a gym kind of program, that's, that's kind of where we are. Uh, but we get huge. Our focus is really on huge buy-in uh, through making it all relatable to the pitch. Brilliant. I bet you have to be wary now, don't you, on how early you go using players like Zidane. Do you get any blank looks of players going, who's that? Oh, they all know who Zidane is. <laughs> Everyone knows who Zidane is. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I guess with that, though, like that that is just football language in the building. So yeah. so now like, there's also a term of like of Winksy. So Harry Winks. Like he, I worked with Harry since he was 14. Um, and uh, incredible ability to twist and turn. And, and it's almost like football language in the building. So we as sports scientists, SSE coach, whatever, whatever we are, whatever the football language in the building of what the coaches use, we need to make sure that we, we bring that as well. We're not, mm. we're not trying to be coaches in the gym, but we need to have that same kind of language. Mm. And so if the, if the coaches call it to damn work, we, we, that's, what we, that's what we call it, you know? And so it makes it all, all link. Yeah, 100%. Where do you stand on when we've got players, we've talked about like super strengths on the podcast before, like if, if a player's got incredible speed or strength, or whatever it is, that's like their strength, their super strength. Obviously, there's then areas that they need to work on as well. Where would your priority fit in terms of improving on their strengths, making them even better or bringing up weaknesses or does it just depend? Um, I think I'm probably going to give you a whole lot of grey now. Uh, it's, I think it very much depends on the individual and their stage of growth. Um, so if we find a weakness could be a deciding factor on whether they actually stay fit or not, then of course we'll work on that weakness. So say a lad's going through their peak velocity and we found a key area that might, uh, he may eventually pull out of training, then obviously we need to work on that weakness. Um, if, so in the bigger picture, so someone like Carl Walker-Peters is a great example one of the most agile players i've ever worked with so that's his strength i want to make him ridiculously agile so i'm going to keep working on that strength but then also we need to work on the underpinning stuff that kind of harnesses that agility if you get what i mean so how does he move of course if we can improve his foot patterns and everything etc then great but if it's down to hip extension technique or whatever it is and really slowing it down and we can harness that and improve his agility through anything that might be a weakness of it. So a great example might be with people like Shiloh Tracy or Ryan Fredericks, Ryan Fredericks, I think he just signed for Bournemouth. Unbelievably fast, 
but we need to make sure that we give them the qualities and the strength and everything that goes with it to really anchor that, uh, that stretch, that, you know, that, that speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's almost like working on your strength, but also focusing on the weaknesses to harness that. So we got, we obviously want to make sure that players all have super strength. So if you're, if you're good at everything, likely you're not going to have a career or you're not going to have as good of a career as you could do. So of course we need to make sure everyone's got this super strength, whatever it is, whether it be physical or mental or whatever, we need to focus on giving them that super strength. And so anything we can do to enhance it, um, the, the, the better, but also anything that we can uh, do to kind of bolster that strength, the better as well. Um, if that answers that. Yeah, hundred percent. No, it does. That's awesome. Just very quickly before we get into part two of the podcast with Matt, we have uploaded the presentations from our last event at Stoke City. Two brilliant presentations. We've got off-field programming for professional footballers by Nathan Plaskett, who's in charge of strength, conditioning and rehab at Derby County. And he touched on his approach to programming. He spoke about footballers' perceptions of the gym. Um, and also gave some really good examples of um, some plays that he's worked with as well and also how he goes about seeing beyond the science and loads of other information in that presentation by Nathan as well. And then also Jordan White, Academy Spot Scientist at Stoke City, he presented Max Velocity Monitoring Exposure with YDP, YDP players and he spoke about what Max Velocity is, how it's measured. He also linked it in with gameplay and how they go about catering for individuals' exposure throughout the season as well. So they are both available to watch back on our online community. So if you're already a member, go to the Network Meeting Presentation tab on the community. They're both available there just under Stoke City. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, Sign up there, go through the full sign-up process and that will give you one month free on the community so you can access those presentations plus many, many more. After the free month, it's only £4.99 per month. So if you could just drop a coffee a month or something like that, that'll be easily affordable and there's loads of great content on there. So go and check it out. Claim your free month by going to footballfitfed.com and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Matt Allen. I was going to ask as well, because when I was thinking about this podcast, we've spoke a lot about, from both sides, club and country, some people that are working with national teams, some people working at clubs where their players will go off on international duty. We haven't spoke about it from an academy perspective. And I know yourselves um, at the club, you have players that are off on international duty in the academy. How does it? How do you find that when players are going away? Is it the same as the first team in terms of you, it's all around the relationship with yourselves and the national uh, team staff? Or is there anything else you need to do additionally because these players are going through different levels of growth? Um, I feel like a lot of it will be very similar. Maybe the topics might be slightly different. I think whenever we hand, hand over players, like first team players to England um, or international teams uh it comes with right here's his loading he's recently had an ankle injury um so he's got this in his program that he, he covers so i think that it's uh it will be it will be similar uh where we we personally hand over under 15 16 programming uh we'll work with england and other nationalities to um on other nations sorry to 
to hand over sessions and loadings and everything that will come with caveats of he's going he's going through his growth spurt at the moment he's going through his peak light velocity um so monitoring his load he doesn't he doesn't do or has never done three days on the spin let's say as an, as an example um so i think that's that's important that uh that the dialogue is there uh we've got some uh <laughs> some nations that we, we deal with uh that the, the dialogue isn't quite there whether that be language barriers um, and, and even on the woman's side as well, whether that be yeah the, a, a language issue or whether that be uh, they haven't got the setup or the structure or the funding or whatever it is for to you know to have a, a likewise department working with the players as we have. So the access to GPS data it may may even be missing. Um, so I think a lot of it is very very similar uh, from my experience of being around first team, uh, being in the same room as first team staff when they're handing over things, I think it's just really important to have a good relationship with that governing body. Um, does that mean they come in uh, to the training center? I guess obviously it depends on, on what nation it is, but uh, having those, those ties before players go away, I think is really important. And uh, th this building and every building runs a hundred million miles an hour. And then as soon as international break comes around, it almost comes up too quickly. And then right quick, I've got to send out this message to them. I've got to send out the load-ins and all that. And it's, it, all it can become a last minute thing. So um, trying, to be, uh, trying to be proactive, getting those ties, getting those links, um, making people aware of where they are in their stages of growth, uh, but also assigning somebody in your department to managing that, I think is really important. And, uh, and so then, it gives them the best chance when they go away to, to, you know, to, to succeed. Yeah. Brill. And then onto monitoring, we've spoke again, it's a topic that gets talked about a lot with your approach to that. Where does your focus lie throughout the Academy? But also I know you wanted to touch on um, some things that just can't be monitored as well. Um, yeah. So we had, uh, so even with the 20, so let's say let's use an example uh two years ago so i found with all the injuries that we had in our under 23 age group uh i believe there's only three injuries in that whole season that linked to loading because i was so on the loading like everything they were doing but uh we so i made sure that everything got communicated to the to the head coach and we you know we managed to to stop injuries happening etc um but a lot of it wasn't to do with the loading a lot of the things that happened were things that you can't really measure um and so what i find is really useful i'm i'm we're still on excel like i, I i'd like to get away and you know and, and get away from it and go power bi and all that kind of stuff and use performance platforms and everything we, we're still using excel we have outputs every player has a player card so it's not a loading card i hate the word loading um but it's a player card that kind of uh encompasses everything really so on on this player card you've got distance, act cells, D cells, all that for each day and it all layers down. But then two of the cells on there uh, are habits and behavior and player observations. So if a lad, I saw him stretch his hamstring, um, his right hamstring, it'll show nothing on GPS, uh, then we make a note of it. Uh, and, and so we get things to flag up. They go out straight after training. The physio gets a buzz essentially from that. And then you can have a chat with him about it and things like that. So trying to quantify uh, all of the numbers and so we, we kind of have that in shorthand so that will all, all, all pop up onto there 
Uh, and it's not just about uh, issues. It might also be about um, so something that have been working on. We've been working on uh, speed off the mark. They just burst past somebody, use their arm. A great example for the gym where we might player observations might go in there. And so you can use it for positive reinforcement as well. Um, and habits and behaviors like obviously we're in long term development. We need to make sure that uh, players have the, the qualities uh, and the habits uh, to, to, to make it. So uh, what I'm looking for are, uh, are habits that um, happen time and time again. So say somebody's dehydrated, they have a high osmo. That might only happen once every two months for that player. Whereas another person, they might have had a high osmo, uh, forgotten their bottle, left it inside, uh, then didn't drink after training, didn't collect their bottle before training, whatever it is. Uh, and then the following day, they pulled the hamstring or saw them stretching the hamstring. Uh, so that will all go on shorthand. So on the GPS data, I won't say anything, but I think uh, with notes and things that you can't actually quantify, I think there we've got a really good picture of where this player is at. And I haven't even looked at GPS data. The GPS data will show me absolutely nothing whatsoever. Um, so things that you kind of can't measure, I think, is, is really important, especially in player development, uh, whether that be for good and bad. So the importance of, of, of uh, kind of identifying these habits that players have. Uh, it might be high muscle soreness and everything, but, you know, the, the, but we get a log of it and we can see trends. Um, I'm really big on the kind of importance of events as well. So one of the biggest things I've found over the years I've been doing it is to really change somebody's habits and behavior. You have to have an event. Um, so I can tell them a player, right. It's not like that. On, uh, uh, they won't like it on loan. If you're late to a meeting um, and you, you, you know, you lose your space in the, in the squad, et cetera, et cetera. And like, yeah, of course, Matt, no worries. Yeah. Or you got to put on a bit of weight um, because the, the, the industry, you know, needs you to be heavier. The, the, the market suggests you've got to be 70 kilos to play in that position where you're only 63 and that, yeah, yeah, of course, Matt, no, no ways I'll get eating. But what they do is in that person that goes up trains with the first team gets absolutely ragdolled, thrown to the floor, everything can't handle it. You, you then have to pick your moments to, so that's an event that's happened there. Right. Sit down with you. Right. Let's go through that. So you've just been, you know, you just experienced that in the first team. I've been telling you to eat, right? This is our moment. We've got nutritionists here. We've got everything here. We're, we're here to help you. Let's get some kilos on you. And I think that's really important that you, you get these events um, and then you can use it to harness into good things to change people's habits and behavior and, and all that. And I use the example of a high Osmo. If somebody did pull their hamstring, it's like, well, here you go. Here's your last week. Your last week is you forgot your bottle to bring it out to training. The next day you were dehydrated. The next day you didn't have any pre-match or post-match. The next day you didn't eat breakfast or whatever it is. And now you're, you pulled your hamstring. I think using that is, is an important thing to really in, influence the psyche of a player uh, and the critical friend kind of thing that I covered earlier, really, um, of, of using that. And so I, uh, I know I've gone on a little bit about that there, but um, I think players aren't, aren't quantifiable robots. And so the, the more we can bring um the yeah the, the the softer side but also the other side of uh of development and using the kind of social and emotional intelligence of when to to influence a player uh, the better um i guess i've got one more sorry example thinking about it um 
well, I mentioned to you before, uh, just before we, we come on live, like the class of 93. So good example, the play, the, the program's a program. So the players had to find a way to deal with that program because there's no sports scientist saying his muscle soreness is high or whatever it is, or he's, he didn't sleep much last night. You had to find a way to deal with it. So now let's say um, we've got God knows how many sports scientists in, in, in whatever club we're in at the moment. Uh, a player plays on Saturday, goes out, drinks loads in the, in the evening on Saturday after, you know, uh, playing quite well. Um, doesn't rehydrate, eats poor food on Sunday, doesn't sleep much. He comes in on Monday, sore as hell. Dom's a seven out of 10. His sleep quality is two out of 10. His, uh, his sleep hours are three hours. And you're like, go to, you go to the head coach, right? When he's come off this lad, he's, he's overtrained or whatever it is. And we keep him fit. And so great. We've got hundred percent availability. Well done us. That's brilliant. The player stays fit, but it, the player doesn't learn. The player doesn't learn from his mistake there. And so, actually building these habits and behaviors is, is, is quite tough. And sometimes, you know, the be having uh, injuries isn't necessarily a bad thing because it is then an event that you can then influence this player on in the future. Yeah. I love that. I think that's great because it gives, it, it does feed back to them, doesn't it? On the whole picture on what's happening and potentially why it's happening as well. How easy is that to do across the squad though? When you've got, when you've got plenty of numbers. Um. It, quite quite easy, really. I, I, um, as long as we've got those player cards each day, um, I think you've got well in in all category one in the in the world that I'm living in at the moment, we've got sports scientists or SNC coaches for for each age group. Um, not not all the way down to nines, but we've got you know for the PDP especially, we we have people specialising in that. And so, if you're overseeing twenty players, uh, I think it's it's worth every day having a consideration for what has a player done? Where, where is he in his development? What are his habits? What, what's he like at the moment? What's going on at home, etc. And so I've got a clipboard every day. Um, and I, I know I've got for training every day. I know what numbers I've got, but I have a habit of ticking their name every day, right? Is he training? Yes. Okay. Then I go on to the next, next name. Yes. Tick their name. And so like, it makes me sit there and consider every player every day in the morning before I go into meetings, et cetera, right. Where, what has that player done? How is he, what, what's his, what's his player card saying, et cetera. And, um, and I feel like if you can, you have that headspace just for 10 minutes, just to go through the squad and then you know how to then deal with them in the day, not just for programming, but also the mood you are around them. What, what have they, you know, what, what's going on? You might know something now about what's going on at home. So you might, change the way you are or, or you know, or, or change your session slightly based on that. Um, that's key as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. Matt, let's move on to some of the quick fire that we finished the podcast with um, just to wrap things up. So the first one I always ask is who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, Sam Erith and Nathan Gardner spring to mind from a sports science perspective. Um, they're, they're the ones that brought me into to Spurs. Uh, Nathan Gardner, I must have spent hour, hour and a half with every day for about three years, four years. Like he was brilliant to bounce off. Loads of ideas that he, he kind of helped me with in the academy. Uh, another one that actually springs to mind is is somebody who I work with who, who actually uh, is in my department, Carl Hallaby, um, an, an incredible practitioner, person, uh, unbelievable experiences. Uh, encyclopedic knowledge of, of everything in, in football fitness and, and how to 
use all those kind of unquantifiable, immeasurable things that we've just been talking about. And he, he's, he's been really good with me. Um, John McDermott is the go-to. So like in player development, he's like the godfather. Obviously he's now, a, he's, a, he's at the FA now, but I was lucky enough to work with him for, for 10 years or so. Um, and 10 years with John is, I, I'm, I stick by it. It's like 15 elsewhere. Um, it, he, it, the, he was just outstanding for me. He pushed me every day. Uh, the amount of conversations we have at 10 p.m. still happens, uh, where he's quizzing me and what are you doing here and what's that, what's happening there. And it's he's um he, he's brilliant. Uh, coaching wise, uh, under that uh, biggest influences like because uh, I've learned so much, obviously because we're trying to relate and work with these coaches every day. I mean, like Wayne, ben Wayne Burnett, I've worked with now for five years. Uh, the way we link train a gym to training and everything, I think is 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 great. Um, Alex Inglethorpe, Kieran McKenna, who's now Ipswich manager. Um, Matt Wells, who's at Bournemouth, but actually uh, like a big influence in me was Ugo Ekiog as well. Uh, like f five years ago, now it's, it's it just here. I got goosebumps now just bringing up his name, and uh, yeah, very, 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 very sad. But what a great guy, and uh, what a great loss to to not only football but just society and everything. But uh, but yeah, I've I've been luck really, really lucky. Um, people will find me out soon, but yeah, really lucky to to work with so many people. I'm dropping names for fun. Sorry, it's not me. It's, sorry. <laughs> it's I did ask that, to be fair. I did ask that. Okay, yeah. Matt, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I'd, I'd probably say my social and emotional intelligence is my antennas for that are pretty good. Uh, knowing when to push hard, when to come off players and staff. Um, I think a big part of, like, the, uh, we have interns every year and we've had them now for, for, well, I came in as an intern, so yeah, every year. And uh, I know that at some point in, in their internship, they're struggling and the, the, the work is getting a bit too much. And it's that tipping point of like, I've, I've always got my eye on them, but at the same time, I know they need to go through this to then get out the other side and really feel like a truth, uh, like feel of football and being under the cosh a little bit and everything. And I, I know kind of when to push the pedal down and when to come off, but at the same time, uh, yeah, with, with, with staff and for players. So I, I like to think I've been pretty good at developing staff in, in the time I've been here as well as developing players. And I guess the kind of emotional and social intelligence around that in developing that, I think is probably my biggest strength. Real. What would be your top bit of advice if for Matt that was just starting out at the very start of his career when he tried golf and all the rest of it, getting into sports science, <laughs> what would you say to him back then? Um, what would I say to him back then? Uh, find a way for your CV to stand out. I, I put job adverts out and it instantly, if it goes national, it's, for three, four, five hundred people to go for it. So what, what would make you stand out? I'd just get um, myself to contact as many different clubs as possible uh, to get experience wherever I can. I think one of the biggest values I've had in my development uh, to get where I am, I'm still developing. I'm, I'm as humble as anyone. Like I, I'm, I'm as an open book as I ever have been. Uh, but when I was really younger, going through the SNC, working at that centre, um, the, the things I bought from working with different sports uh, is still true now. 
because it really brings the value of right you've got this individual and i've got to get him better at x y and z and he is so different to this guy over here but he's in the same session and so i think the value of actually just spreading your wings even though you might want to work in football contacting people in golf and tennis and multi-sport centers and all that and just getting yourself on the shop floor watching people coach coach yourself um, I think is, is invaluable. We actually played uh, uh, Bromley last night and there's no disrespect to Bromley whatsoever at all. But I mean, the, the, the setup they've got there is incredible and the people there are incredible and the, the experience people will get working there is, is it just completely invaluable. So um, I, I'm, like I say, I'm not disrespecting that whatsoever, but don't have any shackles in anything. Any, any experience you can get, get it. Um, and uh, and I think that's uh, that that's one of the stuff I'd say. Yeah, great advice. And then just finally, mate, what's your you just said about uh, developing, continually developing? What's your approach like CPD, continued learning right now? Um, during COVID, uh, it, it was tough. Obviously, uh, funding went down, conferences went down, etc. Obviously, online it, it went up. But um, uh, one of the biggest things I have is is in my department. I will employ uh, people that are much better at me at certain areas. So um, everybody like Josh, it, he absolutely would. Uh, yeah. Like if, if, if I got in a science off with Josh, like I'm, I'm, I'm losing, but he's, uh, he's, he's almost encyclopedic with, with everything kind of football science wise. And then I've got Adrian van der Plug, who who's my S and C coach. Likewise, like I'm, I can't even get in conversation with, with him about functional anatomy and biomechanics etc because he'll you know he's, he's outstanding at it and so I think the key thing of that is actually having an environment where it's rich in that area and so what I did in the last two years is we've had different topics um, and I've, I've everybody put together uh, four presentations on videos um, in my department and uploaded it to a Dropbox folder something that we or two things that we do and two things that we could do. Um, and so each one being like a TED Talks, 18 minutes, maximum 18 minutes, uh, something that they feel like, yeah, we could do, and also things that reinforce what we do do. And um, that was being really, really valuable. We've now got a folder of maybe 60, 70 different video files uh, in-house in, um, in CPD, but also loads of different presentation files. And so in any area in football science, or whether it be, and into day in the uh, life in the day of an intern, so then we can hand over to new interns, etc. Uh, our CPD folder on there is, uh, is 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 really really good, and so we've tried to be creative with how we've done our CPD. Uh, obviously, thing conferences etc. are now starting again, which is great, but I think we're going to keep that going um, and using people around you that give people a platform just to show what they're good at, you know. And I think everybody, I, I learn every day from everyone I work with. I'm very very lucky. I love that. And I think it's really valuable, isn't it, for anyone listening to make sure you're making the most of the people around you? Because I think some people not take for granted, but doing tasks like that, it challenges people in a good way, doesn't it? And it, Definitely. And it allows you to learn off each other. So, mate, that was absolutely quality. Really, really good. Thank you very much for coming on and doing it. I really appreciate oh, it. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Really, Where really would you, um, for people to keep up to date with what you got going on, Matt, would you direct them to any sort of socials or anything? Um, uh, my, uh, my Twitter is, I believe Matt Allen, sports science, S P S C I. 
uh, metal and sport. Uh, yeah, metal and sport. I think it is that. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's something like that. If you type that in, I guess you'll come up with someone like. Uh, uh, yeah, you come up with my, my picture. It'll be a metal anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just make friends with whatever metal and you come up with. Um, come, yeah, come up against. Um, so yeah, there, there I guess is the, the main one. Obviously, LinkedIn is is the other one that I'm on, but um yeah if, if you contact me I'll, I'll always endeavor to get back to anyone um likewise i contact other people and i try and use it i'm more of a background kind of user of twitter than i am on the on the front of it but uh yeah it, feel feel free to contact me and um please don't get offended if it takes me a while to get back to you but all good brilliant thanks a lot matt cheers thanks ben Big thank you for listening and huge thank you to Matt as well for coming on and giving up his time. It was great to catch up with him, like I said at the start, especially after a few weeks after speaking to Josh as well. Takeaways on this one. Matt mentioned something that I've spoken about before and I know a number of people share this view as well, is that you have to be highly skilled to work in academy football. I think a lot of people look from the outside and think that the best practitioners are at a first team level. It isn't always the case. Um, I think there's a lot of great individuals working in academy football and a lot of different challenges along the way through growth and maturation. So I do share that point with Matt. And then he spoke about everyone being a player developer. There's more to just one or two roles or, or coaches or practitioners in that phase in that development of a player and everyone's got to play their part which is a really key point and just alongside that he spoke about being critical friends so when you're dealing with players obviously you want that relationship you want that friendship to a degree but it's a critical friend the time where you're able to sort of have those conversations and I can't remember whether he actually mentioned it in the podcast or when we stopped recording but he said that um Josh Rice, who, who I just mentioned was on the podcast a few weeks ago, does this really, really well with players. Like They know the boundaries. They know when he's able to have a laugh with them, but also can switch that switch and get the work done, which I think is the most important thing. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I loved this one. I think it was a great one with loads of great takeaways in it. Go and give Matt a follow over on Twitter at Matt Allen and Alan spell A-double-L-E-N and then S-P-S-C-I, Sports Science, on the end um, and give him a follow and give him some support and let him know what you thought of the podcast as well. I'm sure he'd, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. And just before we go, go and give our sponsors a follow. Rezzel are doing some amazing work. I've just been reading their blog. They've got a blog post out that shows some of the work they're doing in virtual reality. And they've got a really, really cool setup where they're actually able to recreate goals that have been scored. And they've got, sorry, Man United fans, but they've got a goal against Man United in 2017-28 season by Alvaro Morata for Chelsea. I'm sure any Chelsea fans remember that one where he sort of pulls back and it's like a bit of a looping header. And they've recreated that on Rezzle so you can take part in that and um, try and basically do what, Morata did scoring that that great goal against Man United. So they're doing some great work. Go and check them out. It's at Rezl, R-E-Z-Z-I-L on social media, on Instagram, Twitter. Go and give them a follow and um, yeah, support them because they're doing some great stuff and obviously supporting our podcast as well. Thank you again for listening. We are approaching episode 200. I've got a big show lined up for episode 200, but before then, another big one lined up for 199 as well. So thank you again for all your support. 
and I'll speak to you again next week on episode 199.